Yes, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gage Clark. This is episode two of season two of the Quirky Science Podcast. Today we will talk about schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorder, and psychedelics. And I don't. Uh, some of you may have already read the post psychedelics and schizophrenia, which kind of goes into this topic quite a bit. Uh, basically, I think that um, it's kind of a risky opinion, I think, and I'm not completely sure, but the reason I'm sure is not necessarily because of the data, but more because everyone else seems to be scared of this idea too. But I think psychedelics might actually be able to treat schizophrenia rather than how uh in the past, a lot of people thought that it basically can either cause it or worsen it. I think I'm still a little bit unsure about this, so that should be noted. But um, we're going to explore some of the research on that. And I think that uh, psych- the psychedelic mind space is not so much psychosis, although it's possible that it can sometimes become that. I'll get into that in a little bit, but I think it might be more representative of manic episodes. And so first, uh, we should go into this kind of uh, dogma that psychedelics might cause or intensely worsen schizophrenia, which I think I'm still skeptical on. I have to note that again. So so first we could talk about uh, HPPD, which is basically, uh, it's called hallucinatory perceptual, uh, uh, hallucinogenic persisting perceptual disorder or something like that. But I think that this is really something more like uh, migraine auras or also like seizure auras. And part of the reason for that is um, like the kind of symptoms that people get is usually kind of like uh, like shimmering or like the walls are melting and stuff like this. And I think that um, that is more, not so much schizophrenic. Uh, schizophrenia, I think, is more like hearing voices or things like that. But I think, I think there could be some overlap. Um, so, so the HPPD, that'll 
come back. I'll come back to that once we start getting into some of the mechanisms because it's more. Um, it makes more sense in that context because, like for example, uh, like seizures are related to high glutamate activity, and uh, psychedelics induce glutamate release. And I think that the experience of psychedelics a lot of time is something kind of like if you were to be like edging towards seizures, but not entirely like, um, some of the drugs that are psychedelics. So, so most of the psychedelics are partial agonists. They only partially stimulate, uh, the serotonin receptors, uh, specifically like five HT two a receptors are one of the key, uh, mechanisms in psychedelic effects and psychedelics usually partially stimulate this receptor, but there are some that fully stimulate this re receptor, and those ones can actually kill you, like the NBOM drugs. They also uh, induce seizures, so I think that it might be because of the full agonism. And uh, for people with like epilepsy, there's correlations with high uh, density of glutamate receptors, specifically the NMDA receptor, which um, in psychosis, though, they, uh, the, they usually have a low density of these receptors. And I think that like some of the effects that are coming from things like HPPD, I think they're pretty much kind of like a mild uh, uh, seizure aura or migraine aura because those disorders are linked to NMDA receptors and they also, uh, uh, psychedelics can actually, uh, there's like some research that people have been doing on psychedelics and migraine, which makes me think that if you like, let's say you use psychedelics over and over, or maybe there's like other factors, uh, the rebound effects might actually involve migraines and there are like some people reporting that on reddit and stuff okay so moving back to the dogma point they've done uh some uh what is it like a survey and people that use psychedelics and they have not actually found a link between psychosis and psychedelics so that is kind of interesting. There are some older studies that basically just assumed that psychedelic, the psychedelic mental space is psychosis. There's not even really been too much of an argument except that they both involve visual problems like hallucinations and seem to pitch you in a very far off space from uh, what is considered normal. But I think that, like, even going outside of this topic, I'm not going to get, I don't know if I'm going to get too much into this, but I think that when we talk about, like, mania and psychosis, I feel like there's so many different flavors of these states. Like, in my own personal experience, I think I am probably bipolar um 
uh, uh, just some background on that. I was pretty close to being diagnosed with that and they were trying bipolar medications on me, but I just, uh, stopped going after that. And those medications, I don't know, they, they were okay or whatever, but I didn't like them too much. And then, I don't know, I just kind of like worked on training myself to, uh, control my manic symptoms, like with avoiding getting sleep deprived and like stuff like that. But, but anyways, like my own experiences with mania is that like, like sometimes it's almost different every single time. Um, there's been times where it feels like not even necessarily super motivated, but very kind of lovey and, uh, my head will be like spinning with ideas and epiphanies and, um, not so much, uh, productivity though. Sometimes it can be very productive and I'll be writing like all day and I'll start like pumping out articles and stuff like that. Like for example, recently I dosed psilocybin and, uh, you can see the trip report for that on the website. It's called shamanism. Um, after doing that, I put out, I think like eight articles in a short period of time while still, uh, still going to classes and stuff like this. And I was pretty much just constantly uh, doing productive stuff after that. Um, but there's times in the past where it involved, my manic episodes would involve anger and stuff like this. I've kind of learned to not uh, let it get that way, though. I find anger to be kind of addictive. I think the more that you do it and let your inhibitions slide away, that you're kind of reinforcing and rewarding that behavior. Whereas uh, if you consistently inhibit yourself, I think it's very hard at first. But if you do that, I think you'll actually find it much harder to let your inhibition go. I have a feeling that it's really just a matter of kind of which decision you make and you'll start to frequently habituate that decision. Um, okay, so, but but basically I noticed that there's so many different manic states and I have a feeling that like high serotonin might be a major component to that stuff, but I think you can flavor it with um, well, well, I don't, I don't even know if it's necessarily just serotonin. I think serotonin kind of unlocks the more like primary mechanisms, which would be like glutamate and dopamine and other things. But you can also probably slant the manic effects with, uh, like norepinephrine or like adrenaline. It could be like a panicky kind of mania. And I feel like it can be like so many different things, so I feel like some of this, when we're talking about mania, it might not necessarily refer to all of the different kinds of manic-like states of mind. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Okay, so moving on. Um, uh, 
So there's actually been one study that's kind of interesting where they uh, someone had taken psychedelics and had something that was like a first episode psychosis and schizophrenia, they referred to it as, but it actually worsened when they took um, typical antipsychotics. So that's kind of interesting because the antipsychotics didn't exactly decrease it. I think a lot of people actually kind of use antipsychotics to end trips. I don't know. But there is a study where someone seemed to have gotten worse from that, from dosing antipsychotics. And there is some nature articles that go into that there's not really a link between psychedelics and mental health problems. In fact, from another article, they've noticed that psychedelic use is uh, linked to decrease psychological distress and suicidality. And there is some studies from the 60s that are really sketchy, to be honest, um, where they would give high doses of LSD to children that seemed to have schizophrenic symptoms. I think that um, there is some problems with this. It's kind of old, and they uh, they might have been children that had something more like what we would call autism. Because um, there used to be something called childhood schizophrenia, which was kind of later changed to be autism. But I think that it's likely that at least some of the people in these studies were actually schizophrenic. And um, my, my take on schizophrenia and autism in general, though, is that they aren't aren't totally different. Um, I won't go too much into that, but I think that both of them at the core are a higher sensitivity to things that leads to you uh, developing um, high amounts of stress really quickly, which can like ruin development, and that for a lot of the autistic children that don't end up learning to speak, I think that it's kind of like uh, being traumatized in a sense, not necessarily that like they've disproven or uh, refuted the idea that, that uh, bad parenting is behind autism. Cause that used to be a major theme in the research, but then that's been now refuted. I don't think that it, uh, like, despite that, I think that, that people with the autistic, like, because they're more sensitive, I think that they could be traumatized by things that aren't necessarily abusive or traumatic. Like you could imagine that, um, a normal child that doesn't have autism might recover from the stress of being like punished when they're being like, let's say like potty trained or something, they will be more resistant to being disciplined. Um, but maybe someone 
uh, with the kind of autistic genetic type might uh, become horribly traumatized by being disciplined in a normal, non-abusive way, and then kind of just like shut everything out, or or even just loud noises or something like that, because there is the whole uh, sensory overload thing. But um, okay, so I notice I'm tangenting a lot. I hope that that isn't terrible, but uh. Back, going back to this dogma thing again, there is also these interesting uh, case reports that just came out in this year, 2020, about LSD overdoses where one of the people had a bipolar di- disorder with psychotic features and they seemed to have been cured of their problem for uh, ongoing 20 years now, which is pretty interesting. And uh, um, so, yeah, I didn't even actually finish what I meant to say about that 60s study. They, they were all, almost all of the children that were dosed with acid, um, they showed improvements. Some of them uh, were able to go back to school, like they were taken out of school because of whatever their ailments were, and they some of them were able to actually return to school and live somewhat more normal lives after that. And the studies were kind of crazy. They were taking like, like some it's, in some of the children it was like a hundred micrograms daily or something like that. It's pretty crazy. Okay, so the next really important thing to cover is that cannabis and psychedelics, while being similar, they aren't uh, that similar. So I do think cannabis is actually a good model for what psychosis is like and what schizophrenia is like. And so cannabis does bring out schizophrenic symptoms in susceptible individuals and even in mentally healthy individuals. I think it was 50% of people who are not schizophrenic experience psychotic-like symptoms while on the drug. And I don't think that has to be hallucinations, but like anhedonia, um, paranoia, uh, stuff like this, and probably other perceptual changes. So cannabis and psychedelics, their mechanisms differ. Um, Cannabis is able to downregulate NMDA receptors, which matches the kind of... uh, characteristics we see with schizophrenic individuals. Um, Meanwhile, psychedelics, they don't seem to do that. They increase glutamate activity. Um, So I'll get into that mechanism stuff a little bit 
more later, but but there is some overlap as well. Like cannabis and THC does seem to do something to the 5-HD2A receptor. Um, and that does seem to play a part in some of the uh problematic effects like um I don't know, but I, but I'll get into that a little bit later, probably. So, cannabis psychosis in non-schizophrenics seems to last about a week after the drug has worn off, and um, the THC can build up and store in your fat. I've heard. Um, I don't have a study right here right now, but I've heard that people can even re-trigger. THC highs by exercising and like burning off some of the fat, which is kind of crazy. So let's see. Um, so cannabis, while psychedelics are shown to help with like depression, anxiety, and stuff like PTSD, cannabis was recently shown to worsen depression over time, despite that Despite that getting high can improve mood, uh, the continued use seems to kind of uh, result in diminishing returns and people report worsening anxiety and depression, according to one study. Um, on the other hand, uh, psilocybin has shown to cause a or produce a long-lasting six-month-plus a strong decrease in depression in about 80% of people that are dying of terminal illness. Uh, specifically, I think they were looking at cancer patients. Um, there was an interesting thing on Eerowid where they said that body dysmorphic... So th this isn't on Eerowid, hold on. So body dysmorphic disorder has been associated to psychosis in the literature and then uh, seems to be reduced. So th this is the part that's on earwit. It seems that some people notice that psilocybin reduces their body dysmorphic disorder, but cannabis worsens it. Um, okay, so... Cannabis also decreases glutamate activity as a general trend. Um, I think it reduces even both NMDA receptor and AMPA receptor activity. But I think cannabis is really complicated. I have a feeling that it can produce kind of a whole range of effects. Like I have a feeling that it can range from psychosis to mania to just kind of anything but I think that with psychedelics, I think it's more likely that the effects are m more like mania or like even maybe psychotic manic type episodes. Okay, so with uh, cannabis, there is also... So it can decrease NMDA receptor activity, which is like psychosis, and also CB1, the cannabinoid 1 receptor, co-localizes with D2, D2 
dopamine receptors, which is another uh, component of like schizophrenic hypotheses, is the D2 receptors are usually uh, involved in the pathology of schizophrenia. And cannabis also causes an increase in dynorphin activity, which that is where we will head next is dynorphin and schizophrenia. And um, so for anyone who is asking questions in the Discord, just to know, I will get to those and probably open up for anyone who wants to talk after after I'm finished with some of this explaining about the like schizophrenia and psychedelics and all this stuff, uh, I will get to that and answer you guys' questions once I'm through. Okay, so dynorphin is really interesting because uh, it is basically endogenous. It is the body's uh, own salvia um, for any of you that know the, that drug, that drug is pretty crazy. Salvia binds to the kappa opioid receptors, and so does dynorphin. Dynorphin is basically the body's kappa opioid neurotransmitter, but it does a couple more things than just that. It directly is capable of blocking the NMDA receptors, which again is involved in schizophrenia. And it also enhances dopamine D2 receptors, which is also involved in schizophrenia. And so dynorphin releases during states of stress and it seems to produce anhedonia, uh, anxiety, probably panic-type effects in some people. I think it depends on the, the, the effects that dynorphin brings, I think, varies depending on like a whole complex set of mechanisms. I don't think it's necessarily a kind of fixed effect. I don't think any of the systems like serotonin, dynorphin, all that stuff. I don't think that they always produce any kind of necessarily fixed effect, but uh, it might be contextual. So there is actually research now in 2020 that's linking... That there's been a couple studies in the past, but now there's some studies linking dynorphin and schizophrenia and especially, so they linked other opioid systems besides dynorphin to schizophrenia. And dynorphin seemed to be the one that was most correlated to the entire set of symptoms of schizophrenia, whereas stuff, the other opioid systems like uh, enkephalin uh, and endorphins were less associated to the whole set of symptoms, but still did correlate to some of the symptoms. 
And uh, I'm trying to think if I should actually get into some of the mechanisms. So some of the mechanism stuff can get really... Uh, I don't know. I think if you want to read about the mechanisms, it might be best to just read the article titled Psychedelics and Schizophrenia. I'm probably still going to touch on some of these, but I think that it's a... I don't know. I just, I just feel that talking about them... It's probably a little bit hard to keep up, and it's better to just read some of that, probably. So my conception of what dynorphin is, is that basically any kind of stress, including disease and trauma, and um, even just like a physical injury, will stimulate dynorphin as well as other inflammation-related mechanisms and then dynorphin, along with uh, this other stuff called cortic... Uh, I, don't, I don't remember how to pronounce it, but it, uh, it's usually the acronym CRH or CRF is involved in producing the subjective experience of aversion. At least that's what it seems like so far in the way that the research is going. Um... Basically, dynorphin depresses the nervous system for the most part. I think it can stimulate it depending on certain um, contextual factors. Like it seems that glycine levels seem to change the effect of dynorphin, partly because their effects um, are somewhat interchangeable. And if there's glycine present, I think that it kind of means that the only place left for dynorphin to go is to block the NMDA receptor, which basically just starts to shut down neurons, which can produce effects like pr pretty much the effects of drugs like PCP, ketamine, uh, dissociative, and anesthetic drugs. And so with schizophrenia, um, uh, there's like correlations with stress is one of the obvious ones. But there's also interesting research on like social defeat, which I think uh, some of you who regularly uh, read the articles and listen to the podcast probably remember and know about this already. Um Basically, social defeat is that your social status in society or in your social circles is low, but it's it might not just be unpopular, but that you are like bullied or that people kind of think lowly of you, that it's kind of like the chronic sense of that you're rejected from your social world. And so like you could imagine that being withdrawn kind of makes sense. Like if, if people think you suck, you wouldn't exactly want to socialize with them. But, um, so, so there's like research on dynorphin and social defeat in animal models where the defeated animal will have high dynorphin and then get like anhedonic and just sit there and stuff like that. Um, 
in terms of schizophrenia, there's been a social defeat model of schizophrenia, which is kind of interesting. They've noticed like low social status and being a minority or having like a disability are risk factors for developing schizophrenia. And there's also like loneliness correlates with symptoms like paranoia in the research. Um, and okay, let's see. I probably won't go too much into that. I kind of want to paint more a picture of what's different between schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, I think. So there's also like some research on stuff like PTSD. This, this is pretty relevant to what we're going to get into. Um, so in studies on the genes of schizophrenia, they notice correlations with like low intelligence and PTSD. And I'm kind of skeptical of what it means, this correlation of low intelligence. I have a feeling that uh, like from a lot of the research I've been doing in these articles, I basically think that uh, intelligence is mediated by mood partially. Um, but I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Like I think, I think the effects of this are accumulative and there's like research showing that being exposed to domestic violence suppresses IQ in children. And then there's like some of the stuff I've talked about in the past is like there's research on openness to experience and intelligence. There's like a positive correlation of openness. And this makes sense because openness is pretty much like curiosity. And it would make sense that people who are curious kind of maintain their cognitive ability because they're constantly seeking out things that stimulate their cognitive ability, like they're actively using it. And so in a sense, I kind of think that the people that are schizophrenic are very sensitive to becoming stressed out and traumatized and scared. And this kind of makes sense because of the symptoms like paranoia and, uh, uh, trauma is like a risk factor for schizophrenia as well. And in the gene genetic studies, like the genome-wide association studies, they've shown that PTSD and schizophrenia, a lot, a lot of the genes are the same genes that are risk factors for both conditions. And so... Um, on the other hand, there are correlations of bipolar disorder and um, in, so, so there's an increased risk of bipolar disorder for those who have high IQ in childhood. And there are, are a, a couple studies that go into that. And one of them found that high arithmetic ability showed a 12-fold increase in being diagnosed with bipolar disorder later. And then um, excellent school performance at the age of 16 
is linked to a fourfold increase of bipolar disorder. And there's even this one candidate causal uh, variant genetic study that went into, uh, they linked intelligence and bipolar disorder as well. And then in that same genome-wide association study that found correlations of uh, low intelligence and cognitive ability for schizophrenia, they found that there was a slight correlation uh, with many of the genes for increased cognitive ability in uh, bipolar disorder as opposed to low cognitive ability in schizophrenia. And there's other interesting things like cannabis. For some reason, it seems that those with bipolar disorder, cannabis use was linked to increased cognitive function, whereas in schizophrenics, it was linked to impairment of cognitive function, which is kind of strange and interesting. I think what I think about that is that so... With mania, so I haven't talked too much about that yet. I think mania, instead of the fearful, paranoid, well, well, paranoid is a different thing. I'll exclude that for now. But so if you think of schizophrenic as being like very risk averse, afraid, and um, closed off from the world, like hiding in their room, getting like really paranoid that the world is a very scary abusive and traumatic place, the manic person is kind of not scared enough. They are out there uh, like taking excessive risks. And so like they will often be like spending all their money uh, on like crazy stuff like gambling or like um, just buying like new exciting things or whatever. Uh, they will go probably, I imagine a lot of them just like spontaneously travel and uh, they will, uh, there's like hypersexuality is like a symptom, but also having sex with strangers is sometimes reported. And so like that, that's probably, I would imagine like someone with like schizophrenia might have a different tendency, like, like avoiding sex altogether or being extremely cautious and paranoid with things like that, like being very afraid to open up. Whereas like someone who's manic might open up really, really too quickly and kind of, um, just kind of doing all these like risky behaviors. And I think that someone with bipolar can be, uh, can reach psychotic episodes, but I think it's a bit different. So, so you could imagine that bipolar, I think, so basically I claim that bipolar and mania is actually uh, kind of, able to recover from trauma. So in this sense, what might happen is that uh, you can imagine that the risk-taking, like the reason people are afraid of taking risks is because 
they lead you into traumatic experiences. Like if you do something risky enough that you almost die, that's a traumatic experience. If you have like sex with a bunch of strangers impulsively because you think it's exciting, you might get some kind of like horrible STD and then like your life is potentially ruined and that could be traumatic. Uh, you can imagine like, like fighting with people on the streets and then, uh, that could be traumatic. Uh, there's just like so many different ways that behaving in a manic way, behaving in a fearless way, will get you into very fearful situations. And if you're like somewhat immune to that fear response, you're going to find yourself in danger much more quickly. But I don't think that uh, I don't think that bipolar people are immune to crisis. I think that what is going on is that when they face a crisis, their their kind of natural uh, kind of recovery. They're I, I, so so in the same way that psychedelics seem to be able to kind of snap people out of traumatic uh, like PTSDs and addictions and um, depressions. I think that. Um, if you experience a crisis because of your manic episode, like say you spend like, like all your money and then all of your, like your family just like turns against you. You become like stigmatized, your life spirals out of control. And then you're just like left with your life ruined. Like there's, I, I don't think that a bipolar person would, I don't think that being manic is like, like you're not going to be excited about the fact that that basically all sources of happiness and excitement have just been like stripped away from your life. Um, I think that they will actually be horrified. And then that's when their either psychosis or depression will emerge. I think that they will kind of be like freaking out about everything that they've just lost. And that now they have no way to continue this like rewarding manic path now and now they must simply just accept that everything is gone and so when this happens i think that they have a kind of psychedelic tendency that allows them to recover from these problems and this basically proves to them their resilience like they they've reached all the way down in the depths of hell and now here they are like they're on fire again and they're like creating new projects. They're meeting new friends again. They're like going out, like partying all the time and everything is like perfect again. They're living in like a heavenly reality. And so it basically like convinces them that, uh, no matter how bad things get, look, you've, you've done it again. Everything is beautiful and amazing. And so, like, on the contrary, the schizophrenic might just totally shut out the world. And if you're doing that, you're not going to necessarily live a rewarding life. Like, if you, like, say, like, even right now in this quarantine, this is, like, the kind of life I think a lot of both schizophrenic and depressed people live all the time. Like, they've been pushed out of society, and they're just, like in their room every day. Like they, a lot of them probably don't even have jobs. 
and they live just kind of isolated, miserable lives. And I think that this, uh, like this quarantine that a lot of us are living in right now with this coronavirus pandemic, um, there's probably going to be people that experience a lot of the same symptoms that people with depression and schizophrenia experience. And I think even when it's lifted, a lot of these people will struggle to kind of return to normalcy. I think a lot of them will kind of have already habituated and gotten used to this lifestyle. And I think that that might actually kind of help a lot of people to empathize with um, these disorders, which is kind of interesting and kind of might be good later once once it all pans out and everything gets back to normal and safety, you know? Okay, so there is actually some evidence of mechanistic differences in bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. So in people with mania, the prefrontal cortex glutamate is increased. Uh, but with schizophrenia, it's decreased. And then psychedelics are shown to increase glutamate activity in this region. So that kind of supports this idea that psychedelics are closer to mania. Um, and then if you give dynorphin-type drugs like uh, dynorphinergic agonists, basically kappa opioid agonists, to people who are manic, they've done studies showing that it can take them out of mania and it does not seem to produce psychotic effects for them. Meanwhile, for, uh, for normal people who aren't manic, uh, psychotic effects are a common symptom with these drugs, which is why they don't really use them. Like, like they've tried to use them for, for people who are in pain, uh, cause they are still, they still can produce opioid effects like, uh, other painkillers and, uh, they don't really use them because of the fact that they induce psychotic effects. So, so in the people with bipolar manic effects, they are they don't seem to get psychotic, which is really interesting. Whereas um, there's drugs that treat schizophrenia, uh, like theanine and other glycine type agonists or NMDA receptor enhancing drugs, uh, they seem to induce mania in people. Um, so that's kind of the opposite. They can, they seem to be able to treat psychotic symptoms, but worsen manic symptoms. And there's also some research on hippocampus differences in both schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which kind of makes sense because dynorphin uh, uh, is very active in the hippocampus. It basically shuts down activity and is linked to like cognitive and learning problems when injected into the hippocampus in animal studies. 
And so there's also this tendency of serotonergic drugs to induce mania, like SSRI drugs have a side effect of potentially inducing mania. And what's interesting is there's a, like, Welbutrin is a dopaminergic um, antidepressant that does not increase mood cycling like the serotonergic drugs do, which is interesting because a lot of people typically think of mania as a dopamine thing because of the way that drugs like cocaine and amphetamine seem to be very manic. And I think they kind of are, but I think it's like trickier than that. I think that like, uh, like, oh, it just gets really complicated when, when you get down into the mechanistic stuff. But, um, so with, uh, I won't even go into that. So there's also some research showing that bipolar disorder is linked to enhanced signal transduction of uh, the 5-HT2A receptor, which is that one I mentioned earlier that is one of the key uh, key components to the psychedelic effects. And it's interesting. There was actually one study that was exploring um, psychedelic drugs for curbing the neurotoxic effects of dissociative drugs. Uh, they were... They found that psychedelics are able to attenuate the brain damage caused by NMDA receptor antagonists. And those drugs, NMD, uh, NMDA receptor antagonists, are basically what they use to study like schizophrenia models because of the uh, they're hallucinogenic and they also mimic some of the... Uh, uh, like patterns that we see in schizophrenia. And what they mentioned in that study is that they think that 5-HT2A receptors might be actually antipsychotic, whereas the 5-HT2C receptors might be pro-psychotic, which I find super interesting because there's actually other research showing that the 2A receptor seems to reduce um, aversion processing in the brain in, I think it's called the aqua, uh, well, I, I can't remember the pronunciation of it, but it's a, this one region. And um, so it reduces aversion and like anxiety Whereas the 2C receptor has been linked to the anxiety-inducing effects that people sometimes get with SSRI drugs and other serotonin drugs. And it's really interesting because there was also a study that found that dynorphin co-localizes strongly, I think, in the 2C receptor containing neurons, whereas in the 2A neurons, there is less dynorphin mRNA and dynorphin is already shown to be involved in like aversion processing and then something that really kind of 
kind of, uh, I wouldn't say confirmed, but uh, increased my, uh, made me more so believing that th this pattern is significant is that the two C receptors uh, enhance another aversion-related uh, neurotransmitter that I mentioned earlier, the CRH or CRF. And I think it's corticoptin-releasing hormone or factor. And for, for aversion to work, it basically needs CRH and dynorphin at the same time, it seems, according to some of the research. And so this kind of gets into an interesting territory because how I said that psychedelics might sometimes bring on psychotic type effects. It might be that the 2C receptor is responsible for some of those effects. And so it's kind of crazy because it's like, like those two receptors are like two opposites, like two, um, like one might, maybe the 2A receptor leads us into bliss while the other 2C receptor leads us into just bad tripping hellscapes. And, um, so, so that's kind of, that's also the part where I'm like still uncertain about whether psychedelics will work for schizophrenia because of this. But at the same time, I don't know, I don't know, like, well, well I won't go into too much of that because I'm still really not sure what to think about that. So the next thing is that. Um, I guess, I guess I could, let me see, um, I wonder if I should just kind of open it up to questions now. I could explain, I guess I could explain some of my own experiences. Wow, there's like thunder out there. Um, I guess I should explain some of the subjective stuff too. So I think with mania, what might be most obvious is that a lot of people have positive experiences where, whereas psychosis is usually not. And I think that you can have a kind of overlapping, uh, effects or I mean, uh, overlapping experiences. Like you can have psychotic manic type effects like i think if you're in a manic episode and things get really bad like you experience something horrifyingly traumatic like you fight with your family and friends and just like peek into a horrible experience and suddenly start switching into a psychotic episode i think it would be kind of like a mixed manic psychotic experience and um but I think you'll kind of like spiral out from there into just like total psychosis and then depression and then like just kind of withdrawal from everything at a certain point. Um, there's some research that they've like surveyed or interviewed people about their uh, perceptual experiences uh, while manic. And that's kind of interesting because it seems to differ from psychotic experiences. Like uh, they don't seem to experience hearing voices 
as much as far as I could tell, but they noticed sensory enhancement, um, everything being much more sensitive, louder, more colorful, tasting better, um, enhanced smell. And this kind of really matches what psychedelics do as well, which I've kind of pinned down to being an effect of the enhanced glutamate signaling, which is consistent across both psychedelics and mania. And the reason I think that is because drugs that block glutamate activity typically uh, numb your body and even like just like degrade your ability to perceive the world with increasing doses, like anesthesia basically, until the point that you kind of are just like 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 not even awake in a sense. Like you're just um it's kind of like a pseudo coma state. So on the other hand, mania it might be like the person who's experiencing like a transcendence where they're like shocked and amazed about how their senses just keep boosting. And I have a feeling that um, kind of a lot of what happens in mania, I think what happens is that because they can recover so well from crisis, I think that they will um, they will keep chasing like bigger rewards, like a high risk, high reward kind of uh, phenotype. And when they do this, I think they can get on a roll. Like you can uh, be rewarded. And then I think the more rewarded that you get, I think that kind of your brain kind of allows you to kind of upgrade. Like uh, Now this is getting into kind of like a more, um, what is the word? This is more like speculation now but i think that there's probably a way to connect the like reward pathways and serotonin to where the more that you are winning at life basically you probably will start to have more serotonin whereas the more that you're losing i think that uh, there'll be more like dynorphin uh, which will take away the serotonin and kind of uh, lead to more like a psychotic or depressive phenotype. But I, th I think it's way more complicated than that. Like, I think you can still experience um, being very unhappy while you're manic, while you're also, maybe even while you're having high serotonin and also like, I don't know. I think I think it's not as simple as as it's maybe coming out in the way I'm saying it. So beware of that. But I do think that um, I, I don't know. I think I think for right now because I I don't like the way I'm getting rambly. I want to kind of open this up for questions if any of you guys wants to go to let's move to discussion channel and uh, you guys are free to bring up questions and stuff like that yeah i wanted myself i just wanted to say that maybe some questions will you know come up but um 
I just want to say that it sounded a bit like generalizing at some points when, um, but I forgot examples they were. Or maybe when you were um, saying about um, uh, the traumatic experience. Yeah, actually, actually. Um, so this, this won't be a question, basically, if you don't mind. It's not like a correction or anything, just um, an addition. Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yes, okay. okay. Um, so it sounded like you talk as if uh, when these uh, episodes ha happen to uh, bipolars or, um, you know, schizophrenias, um, as if they don't have a choice. This is maybe one of the, graces, the greatest mistakes that... Um, you know, people that care about the state and want to facilitate or want to help anyway do, you know, when, when we think that, you know, something is, it's, we alienate from our own states, you understand? So when you say like, this is what happens to them, it's like, it's something that outside that they're being possessed, you understand? It's not really like that. They have like somewhat control and just by reowning the control is actually the, the healing and the, the healing basically is possible. And the reintegration and things like that. Um, it's really like um, there are many things that, you know, I like talking about these things with vegans, but I basically because I do this, but I'm not like, uh, I'm not like academically I trained. I was like academically, I started studying psychology, but I really, I was already in the field. So I wasn't like, um, I didn't continue because I, I saw many faults in the, in the, in the teachings themselves, you understand? And in the, in the system, let's say. So because... It's very much like, for example, when you say how schizophrenic schizo, schizos like stay in their room and isolate themselves, right? It's mostly because they're the state, their state, and not not only because of the episodes, but mostly because their states are actually very uh, stigmatized and ashamed and shamed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And because like people, people are afraid to enter other people's realities. You understand? So it's like, what if? There are actually multiple realities. What if my reality isn't correct and yours is? You understand? Not that there is really someone out there, but there are many realities that aren't capable of actually being measured by the physical senses, yeah, by the linear mind that yeah. we are we are we are gifted with. You understand? So the sense is like is there to diagnose, but it's not there to heal. It's not there to make decision actually, because I'm very against like I'm very against medications. But I agree with you, and I can see that. You have lots of like good insights, and I do believe that myself also. I do believe that it's not like psychedelics so it won't be good for schizophrenia, schizophrenia, schizos. I'm sorry. So I've experienced some psychotic symptoms, kind of a lot. I don't really experience them so much anymore. My life is kind of like really different at this point. I think there's like a lot of factors, but like in the beginning, uh. Like when I first started to experience psychotic symptoms was like in middle school. I got like paranoid that people could like read my thoughts. And then I started like, I would like spam my thoughts. Like I would just think the same word over and over and try to like filter anyone from hearing me or something. Um, so, uh, so like that kind of seemed to be triggered by a sudden... Like, like, there was a lot of crisis situation going on in my house. And also, like, I basically was told to stop associating to my entire social network at school. And it was because they were 
connected to my cousin and my family and there was like all this drama and I was just told don't talk to them anymore which forced me to become instantly isolated along with horrible home life situations that were escalating like alcoholism with my mom and but but I won't go too much into that but basically so most of the most severe psychotic like symptoms happened while I was in the midst of the horrible living conditions and I experienced like I, I couldn't talk sometimes. I couldn't understand what people were saying sometimes. I hallucinated. Uh, but I was still, like, not totally, like... Like, I never feared the symptoms. I actually liked them. I was, like, fascinated by them. Like, I, I even started to take, um, like, different things to provoke the hallucinations, like... Uh, like Benadryl, for example, I, I would like take Benadryl because I was very curious about hallucinating. And, and that's kind of like mentality I've had through the whole time. I've never really had this, like, the, I think there was maybe a couple points where I was like afraid that I would just become crazy one day. Like that especially happened after I tried dissociative drugs, which kind of like felt a little bit traumatizing, but, um, but eventually, like, I kind of started to notice things like, like, like a lot of the symptoms are really correlated to like stress or really bad living uh, lifestyle patterns. And like, if I get sleep deprived, for example, if I even stay up till 3 a.m., I'll first start getting manic and then I'll start getting like worse problems that start to escalate every day. But now that I basically like force myself to sleep at the same time every day, I virtually don't have any of those symptoms, but also so like with psychosis and like psychedelics, I've taken psychedelics when I was actually like in something that I believe to be psychotic problems. Like basically the problem that emerged was that my, I was living with my grandmother and it's after all these like crisis problems happened. Everything is like safe. My grandma is very nice, but there is this like one problem where basically the way she views me is like with this pity that kind of shaped my life. And I didn't really realize like how much it was shaping my life. And I didn't even necessarily realize that she was pitying me until much later, like when I got accepted into a university and her response was basically like, um, like she was basically like, uh, are you sure you want to do that though? Like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And like, but but it, there was like other things around this where like she kind of was like very not so happy about it or anything. Like, like I was like desperately trying to get in there. It wasn't really a matter of like her thinking like, um, I, I don't know, like, like with her expression, which is something I can't exactly communicate over audio. It was, it was basically like this weird, like concerned, like, like this kind of like, uh, are you feeling okay right now? Like, 
are, are you okay? Like that kind of like weird stigmatized kind of thing. And there was like, I don't remember right now the other instances, but basically like she's just kind of had this constant attitude of like me being like this kind of broken person that comes from like this background of poverty and trauma that has no chance in life and that she feels so bad that she's just going to do all this nice stuff for me and like kind of be really lax about not like pressuring me to like like giving me a lot of time to like develop myself and so like that actually helps me a lot because that led to me teaching myself like constantly like I was able to not have to work and um stuff like that like I was able to get away with that essentially and um but but the other the dark side of it was that I don't know like like her view of me it kind of just like like it and it, it infected the way I viewed myself like like I acted very childlike around her I kind of I don't know and then that kind of infected my whole social world though like a kind of my kind of I'm trying to think of the right words but basically I held myself like my social posture if you will kind of came off like this kind of pathetic person I guess I was like basically experiencing the social defeat stuff like and it was really weird because the more I got into doing internet stuff like, I would basically, like, have these people that are, like, saying all these nice things and, like, that actually, like, kind of believes in me or were just, like, viewing me as much different than the people in my real life who actually didn't really even know what I was doing online. But I think they thought that I was living this life of, like, just sitting in my room. Maybe they thought I'm, like, drugged out, like, just maybe like uneducated even and like just crazy maybe or something i don't know it's not really like clear like they they don't talk about it you know i was kind of like like that's another thing is like i don't think my family really talked about me it was like this like maybe dark secret of shame you know but um uh like with with other pe- i don't want to get like too detailed into the other people in my life cuz it's like complicated but basically like the closest people to me like i've, I've had conflicts yeah, with, conflict with girlfriend my- where she kind of like like me kind of feeling self-ashamed it kind of made her think of me as like lowly for a while and then her family even was like is this guy gonna just like go nowhere in life like what is he doing he's like this like jobless loser and he's getting old and he's never done anything and he's like not even getting anywhere in school like what is this like basically i started taking psychedelics and when that happened like so the very first time well i tried psychedelics like a bunch before this but one of the most like crucial times where i took like a like a more intense dose i kind of i left my house like feeling like paranoid, ashamed, and like I was just like thinking like like I, I avoided my grandmother like constantly because it just felt like she was looking at me with like such shame basically. And like after the psychedelics though, it basically kind of just 
reset my mind like as if the last like six months of my life that escalated into this like whole narrative that was intoxicating me just just faded away and I was like reset back to like some sort of default state where like I don't know I went back into my life and behaved differently like I basically started to behave as if I wasn't rejected and I wasn't self-ashamed or anything like I stopped behaving ashamed of myself and instantly like the first interaction with my grandmother was like already different like like she already started to respect me more and it kind of like blew my mind and like even before this there were like experiences that made me realize that this kind of thing happens where like like people are it, it's like there's like all these feedback loops with the way you think other people view you changes the way that you act which changes the way other people act because they basically they just obey the narrative that everybody is creating basically and with the psychedelics it's pretty much like erasing the narratives which means you can kind of create a different narrative and when i did that like i basically started to reshape all of my social experience and like i started getting like more respect from people like i changed the tone of my voice like all these weird subtle things that you would think should be arbitrary like you would think that the only thing that should matter is like the concrete like successes or failures in your life like you should you would think that those are what should matter but it's like this kind of like opened this like spooky doorway uh to like a world where i'm like starting to realize that a lot of the narratives a lot of the social narratives are kind of like not even real that's that's where like i don't know it was kind of kind of led to an existential crisis in a way but not necessarily a bad one but it kind of started to like disturb me that like probably a lot of the people that gain reputation and power they're probably essentially learning to master this ability to like influence the narratives and like kind of maintain their uh social posture and convince everybody around them that that they're good at things and like like the the reason that it's spooky is it's pretty much the kind of thing that psychopaths are like tapping into really like like i don't they, they don't necessarily need to be doing it consciously but i think that they are tapping into it and I think that, like, if you even look at, like, Machiavellianism, it's pretty much just this, like, uh, and I think, I don't know, realizing that it can pitch you in good places or bad places, like, the bad is that you could suddenly feel not, like, you could, you could feel that everything is fake, that, that, like, like, the connection you feel when you're being acknowledged by other people is based on like essentially like if i if i confidently express something to someone they might say they might acknowledge it but if i'm like really insecure and uncertain it's basically like inviting people to reject you basically like if, if you're basically like signaling i have this idea that 
is very rejected. And I want to share it to you and see if you reject it too. Like you're basically kind of like asking to be rejected versus like someone could probably learn to say something in a way that just sounds undeniable and then get like, like people wouldn't even think to start critically assessing what that person said, which that's where it's like kind of the psychopathic realm, I think. But uh, just, it, I'm kind of going on, but basically when I've taken psychedelics, I've noticed frequently, like basically I take them when I feel I'm getting too paranoid or too kind of foggy brain fog or cognitive problems or even like perceptual problems seem to kind of get fixed in my experience at least with some of that stuff although you can gain different perceptual problems i will note that like that's like so just like a funny uh <laughs> like a meta note like a meta when note. you said i'm kind of going on like your um it was kind of like an example of what you just described because we're basically all here to like listen to you talk about random topics anyways so it's like uh you were kind of inviting the posture of oh i'm rambling but actually that wasn't like the case a hundred percent and that was totally triggered, was totally my triggered being, my... by being insecure <laughs> it's like interesting it's like interesting like my thought is basically, thought is oh basically, man, these people are probably like, they're like hearing me talk and talk. Like I have to shut up now. Like, and now, then when I say that, it's basically, that, it's basically feeding, people feeding people the idea that the, the, idea the, that the group response, the group is, response is, is that I am rambling basically. <laughs> but anyone want to chime in? Yeah, um, if my mic's not too terrible, I had a question about loneliness. So, um, and thus spoke Zarathustra. Nietzsche basically dedicates a whole chapter to describing how it fuels creativity. Would you say that you agree? I haven't actually read Nietzsche, but... Um, no. The guy, <laughs> oh, wait, what? Oh, no, oh, loneliness, no, maybe solitude. Loneliness is a very deep and... Not a pleasant feeling. How can it like loneliness is is very negative? You understand? Loneliness is actually the cause of maybe, maybe most of the addictions, and this is like already known now that you know the lack of connection is what actually causes addictions. It's the emotional with yeah. like with loneliness like, is bad and enhances addictions and. and well, the, the thing with creativity and lonely, I think the relationship, I think there's two different things that can go on there. Basically, I think that, like, say if you are creative, what it essentially means is that you are kind of um, dropping out of all of the consensus culture of things, which is considered non-creative only because... That is basically like what everyone accepts and is not considered necessarily like new or anything. But then with creativity, it's essentially a path of deviating from what other people are doing. And I think if you go on long enough, you can like, like, like even with my own experience of like self-learning stuff, I've gotten i've had phases like like a long time ago i used to get 
kind of these manic like episodes where I was like really resentful feeling. Like I felt like really mad that I felt like no one could talk to me about basically like all the stuff that I, uh, that we're talking about today. And like, I don't know, like that felt really lonely and it felt like, like it felt like stressful and stuff. And I think the, the other relationship that loneliness can have, like not just the deviation of norms and normal pathways of life. Um, I think that, um, if you are isolated, you are not any longer getting feedback from the mainstream culture or like necessarily a group of friends or a family maybe. And if you are like in a situation where you are no longer being fed the, the, the culture that surrounds you, your uh, thinking will deviate from that, which can be good or bad, but it depends. It can mostly only be good. I think if you are still, uh, like you should be, if you are in that situation, I would say reading, like a bunch of like science and philosophy will help you have really good ideas, at least theoretically. But if you aren't, then you might fall into like conspiratorial ideas. If you're like, uh, just kind of generating like ideas without any kind of evidence or science or anything like that. So yeah, yeah that's basically exactly what he said too. Basically, if you're no longer part of the herd, you tend to have more original ideas. So there is this guy I was supposed to... Okay, actually, he says tonight. Uh, I don't know. Never mind about that. But basically, I was supposed to have this guy that actually is in love with Nietzsche, and he is bipolar, and he was supposed to be the guest here today, but I think something happened and he might come later today. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that, but that could get pretty interesting. He was going to explain like kind of his own personal experiences with bipolar disorder and psychedelics and all that kind of stuff. Um, does anyone else have things to bring up? Maybe you'd like to hear what I think when it comes to psychedelics, basically, um, because all these drugs actually like they lower awareness. So whatever you're afraid of, you're basically just pushing it more and more away. I think that's kind of true with psychedelics i think that's basically the the problem the risk is that when you take them i think like say like silicon valley right now there there's it's like popular for entrepreneurs to be taking microdoses and stuff like this and i think what is going on with that is that like say you're an investor or you buy stocks and then things go horribly wrong that's pretty much a traumatic experience and like 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 the re- the response that a lot of people would have to that is wow this is horrible i'm never going to try that again because 
it could just be horrible again and then I'll be like crying and depressed and horrified again. But if someone's like taking psychedelics, they could potentially be like recovering from those traumas over and over so that they can keep maintaining these like risk-taking behaviors without um, giving up, I guess. Like I think it can kind of prevent learned helplessness and prevent the uh, deterrence and keep that kind of like entrepreneurial manic spirits going for them and stuff. And I do think that can be a problem, like in the most extreme way you could imagine that like maybe people would, um, just like no longer fear death or something crazy, which actually there is, uh, some studies about people dying and uh, like with psychedelics given to people who are dying and that it helps them no longer feel as worried about their death. Like they stop um, freaking out about it as much supposedly. And so like in, in the dark side of that, you could imagine what if someone is just like, totally convinced that there is nothing to live for and that everything in reality is inherently unrewarding. Like you could imagine maybe someone who's like, especially like, like poor or trapped and that they're literally like in a bad situation. Maybe their depressed state could actually be helping them just, it's kind of like a hibernation essentially. Like if you imagine even, even winter is kind of like a situation like that where where life becomes more horrible. There's less food. You can't do anything. You have to stay inside. So it's like depression kind of makes sense. It's like a temporary pause. But if you kind of like cure that depression, maybe theoretically, maybe it could be bad that someone uh, kind of stops inhibiting their behavior, I guess. Maybe I, I don't know if I actually like, cause there's already research showing that psychedelics is linked to reduced, uh, suicidality. So that doesn't really fit, you know? And I think that's complicated, I guess. I don't know. I think it's like tricky. I'm sure people do kill themselves on psychedelics, but I wonder how much of that is involving cannabis. Cause I, I honestly feel like cannabis is very psychotic. Yeah, I actually, um, I stopped smoking cannabis just because it started to give me more psychotic symptoms and I didn't, I just couldn't handle that really. Me too. I was taking it almost daily for a while and it was kind of awesome at first, but after a year I started getting insect crawling hallucinations and okay. it sucked pretty much. I was feeling stupider. So um, you said, you said you had mania earlier. Have you looked into gabapentin at all as a mood stable? I've tried it in a low dose and it made me like sleepy. I actually don't have problems with mania at the moment. Like right now, anytime I have manic symptoms, it's good. Like I it's, it's basically, I just start being productive or I start researching yeah. a lot. I mainly use it for the depression phase, but during um, mania phase, you feel like you just feel more motivated. So it's a, it's a stark contrast to the depression you feel where you're not motivated. That's interesting. 
I do use, so what I use right now is c coffee and theanine for the most part. Um, theanine is kind of weird. Like it kind of seems to be both manic, but also, uh, sedating sometimes, but it, I don't know, cause it enhances NMDA receptor activity at least a little bit, but it also enhances like, I think GABA release through glycine receptors. And I don't know, like I'll take it to sleep, but then like, I'll be like laying there and have like my thoughts be like, like suddenly I feel like really motivated and interested in thinking about things in my head will just be like spinning with ideas until I fall asleep. But then like, I don't take it much during the daytime only because I've had times where I just get like super sedated. So it's kind of like a weird mixed thing. Um, I also read a study that stated ADHD correlates highly in bipolar patients. Yeah, I think they're almost the same thing. Uh, not entirely. I think that some of the differences, though, aren't all genetic. I think that it has to do with a lot. Like, even just the way that people identify with what their own selves are like. And, like... But I, but I think that they are almost kind of... A similar tendency, like I feel like having ADHD is kind of just like a hypomania that's pretty consistent and that like when they're, because I, I know a lot of ADHD people are like, they get anhedonic and probably really depressive and lazy, but, but I don't know if they would even describe themselves as depressed. Like I have ADHD and like I do spend a lot of my time being kind of anhedonic and lazy at times, but I don't feel like I used to shame myself about that. And I really suggest against that. Like I would get in these loops where basically I would be ashamed that I'm not productive. And I feel like that would stress me out to the point that it would just become like an endless cycle of like, like I was basically becoming like traumatized that I could never escape this unproductive situation. But once I've stopped doing that um like i just decided to be hedonistic sometimes and that works out like way better like i don't know i don't even like i know i never experienced depression anymore in terms of like like shaming myself or like negative attitudes about things as much like like it does happen like usually it's more focused on feeling like suddenly isolated or something like that instead of um, like I am not upset towards myself so much anymore. And I think like since then, life is mostly better. see that for sure um let's see i think also um i think sleep is like another huge thing like i think people underestimate that so much but like like i notice almost everyone will just stay up past midnight and then i don't know like 
like it'd be interesting if like I sometimes wonder if people who have like schizophrenic symptoms if like like I've wondered if like a huge proportion or if nearly every single one of them has like a really disruptive lifestyle like like maybe malnourished and sleep deprived constantly and then also using drugs constantly or something like especially coffee which is associated to like schizophrenia too or even like nicotine like people say it might help but i think i think in a sense it can temporarily help um but i think it's so temporary that like like think of how often people smoke to stop the cravings it's like like people will smoke like six to 12 times a day or something like that sometimes. And, and the correlation with schizophrenia has been the more cigarettes you consume, the more severe the symptoms are too. And I think that it's pretty much like if someone was like, what if someone doses painkillers like 12 times a day and then they start saying that they're experiencing like excruciating pain and then like, Maybe like, maybe there's like a painkiller industry that's like, well, we think that these people are actually just self-medicating this excruciating pain condition. I would be like really suspicious of that. <laughs> but, um, and there's even like, like, like smoking with nicotine upregulates like the whole salvia di- dynorphin pathway to, and like even the receptor that they're studying involved with schizophrenia one of its mechanisms is to control dynorphin release and so basically when you stimulate it it seems to suppress dynorphin release but uh that should mean that if you like if the if you run out of those receptors or like not run out but like if the density of those receptors is reduced you should expect increased dynorphin release which makes sense because it just pretty much like fits the whole like nicotine addiction research altogether and even like schizophrenia. I don't know. But it's like, what if like schizophrenia, what if like none of them are like sober, uh, healthy living people who've never had like serious stressful situations that I don't know. I feel like that's probably likely. Hmm. So, um, have you tried Kratom? Yes. Kratom is, it was okay. Um, so like what I would notice Kratom, it would be kind of manic at first. I think it blocks dynorphin. It also is a calcium channel blocker though which makes it even more complex because calcium channel blockers reduce mania, but also promote psychosis. And then it's also a mu opioid agonist or partial agonist. What happened though is like, eventually I would take it and then uh, like within like two hours, I would be getting like psychotic type symptoms. Like it would pretty much be like if I was like stoned, 
it would be like that feeling where you're like your vision is like hyper sensitive to everything around you and you feel like a little bit like spooked and you're um I don't know it's like it's like a weird feeling like I feel like I move less like I physically hold still and just like feel kind of anxious and stuck and I don't know but I do um I used to think I had HPPD, but it, I think it might have just been what you're describing as in the onset of bipolar. I, I don't know for certain, though, if it's HPPD or not, but it's just my experience with what you're describing. I think it might have just been onset of bipolar. Interesting. Um, there is actually, I didn't mention this earlier, but there is actually um, probably some ways to connect. Uh, mania, seizures, psychedelia, and all that stuff. I mentioned some of the other stuff, but not the mania. Um, like, like with mania and seizures, though, both of them involve like glutamate being high, and also both of them can be kindled, which is like, um, like with like seizures, like if you drink alcohol, for example, alcohol technically is like a seizure suppressing drug. Yeah, but if like you, Xanax. Yeah, Xanax as well. If you dose them sure. enough, you will get, um, you can basically develop epilepsy. I believe it's um, GABA-A agonism. That's anti-seizure uh, medication, right? I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's GABA-A receptor agonism. And, um, and that actually, that's another point of connection is that the genes associated with bipolar are also decreased GABA A receptor function. And I think epilepsy is probably correlated to that as well, but more interestingly, cognitive enhancement um, or, uh, there's like, there was like drugs that they were researching that block the GABA A receptor and, in, and, uh, enhance cognition. They like failed the, one of the, I think like, I don't know, they failed in, I think animal studies on down syndrome, but I've like basic, I've kind of like argued against why that would happen based on like mechanisms that are like contradicting in that situation. Like I think in down syndrome, there's like mechanisms that reduce GABA activity and worsen their problems. So I feel like that was like a weird, or I don't know. I, I forgot what the thing was with that, but um, I don't know. And then like GABA drugs can, can probably take people out of mania and then, a lot of the bipolar people get addicted to alcohol as like a way to try to control their mania, but then they pretty much will end up getting like super manic more so every time it wears off and then they'll just be like cycling. So um, going back to Kratom, I, I did actually read a report that said psychosis can occur in a very small percentage of people that you it was normally in Southeast Asia, but um, I think that with some people like me, for instance, it actually worked as a pretty good stabilizer as long as it was used moderately. Yeah, I think it could. 
so so I don't really talk about it too much, but I take uh, tyneptine, which is like kind of a similar mechanism, except it doesn't involve like a lot of the other stuff. Like it doesn't involve calcium channel blocking or dynorphin blocking. And I basically like switched from Kratom to this because I've noticed uh, less less of the like rebound weirdness. And like even when it was happening, I don't know if I would have like, like I think if it was someone else, like especially like someone that's not like researching all this stuff or thinking about it all the time, I don't necessarily think that people would think that the state I was getting into was psychosis. I, I, I just started to notice it more because like of like, it was pretty much very similar to cannabis and also um, I felt kind of dissociated and like there were times I got like paranoid of people, but I also got like really scared to be around people after create a more off and that doesn't really happen right now to me basically and i don't recommend tyneptine though i'm not going to do that i won't recommend pretty much anything to anybody unless it's like theanine <laughs> but yeah so there's a concept in psychology called ablation you probably know what it is um, destroying parts of the brain to find out what they do I've been curious about perhaps there's like a similar way in people learn about a drug and then they take it to learn about what the receptors do in sort of a firsthand experience of what the agonism of that receptor might feel like or the antagonism of that receptor. Yeah. Not, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so not so much destroying the brain in the case of ablation, but still just in a similar concept of learning about what they do by directly stimulating it. Yeah, that's actually kind of where my whole path of like everything kind of began. I used to try like a bunch of nootropics and like supplements and like experimental things to kind of just like I wanted to try just every like binding to every receptor in both directions just to kind of get a f subjective feel and like th through doing that, I can now recognize a lot of different, um, effects. Like, um, I don't know, like I kind of pay attention to like changes in my vision or different things. Like if I get tinnitus or, um, different, like, types of anxiety or mania or any kind of different state of mood. And I will, I don't know, like it's, it's kind of interesting though. Is it something is it, you do? Um, wait, sorry, sorry. I, could you repeat it? Uh, like, do you also, do you attempt to like explore every receptor? Oh. Yeah, that's basically what I've always done. Like, um, I'm pretty sure everyone researches a drug before they put it in their body. But um, I specifically was researching receptors and things like that when I was trying things like GHB to learn what the GABA-B receptors do, for instance. And, like, I learned that it's heavily involved in sleep and um, 
basically it's also involved in temperature regulation, similar to what opioids do. And then I confirmed my knowledge by looking up, doing the research about it later. But it's just, I think it um, makes people better psychologists when they learn about firsthand what the substances are doing that people might be using. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's this interesting kind of problem that kind of occurs in kind of, I guess, psychology where, or not even just, well, it's because of this problem of like science and psychology where like, like this idea that anecdotes are really bad and um, like that, like pretty much in every other science, you want to avoid anything that's like subjective. But then with psychology, it kind of gets into a weird territory because um, you're basically, a lot of the times you're, you're basically studying the subjective experience. And it gets weird because if you only rely on something like animal studies or like some, something like really distant, to try to understand what is happening with people's subjectivity. That seems like really sketchy. I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, but I definitely think on the internet, especially people will be like very, well, that's not true. Like I think, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people do, do recognize that there is a, that like subjective experiences of different drugs are very valuable in understanding psychology, I guess. Yeah. Um, have you taken an IQ test before, by the way? I'm curious because you were on my thread where I discussed how why bipolar disorder would correlate with IQ. So, oh, um, wait. Oh, you are that person. Wait, are you, wait, are you, you mean yeah, on our yeah, neuro? On, yeah, on neuropsychology, Reddit. Ah, uh, okay, that's cool. Interesting. Um, I have. Um, I've so it seems like, uh, like the correlation there is just that having really high IQ is just having your brain run really fast, and bipolar is like being susceptible to having these episodes of your brain like suddenly running really fast. I'd say a big part of it, too, is um, the interconnectivity between different parts of the brain that don't normally communicate, such as having a more complete brain, for instance, might help you um, not only think deeper and more creatively, but I believe mainly even increase IQ. Yeah, I think, oh, there's so many like interesting things to get into with this topic, um, but yeah, like with my own like i've i don't know I, I honestly don't really tell people the answer to this question but i could i don't really care that much but um like when i was young i had like severe adhd symptoms like i would like rock myself it was kind of maybe even like autistic almost it, but I don't know. I was never diagnosed with autism and I, I even tried to get diagnosed with autism because I, like I demanded my doctor test me at one point and then I, that's when I got the IQ test and I didn't score. It's autistic. So, but, um, I don't know. So like the, when I was like a kid, 
they thought I might have a learning disability because I had like weird tendencies. Like I think I didn't like, I would like ignore the teacher or something and get like really distracted and stuff. And then I got tested like, I forgot what the test was, but, but I scored like 99th percentile at that time. And then like more recently I've, tested like after college when I was trying to get diagnosed with autism and I scored like um like 128 I don't know I was also kind of anxious too during the test like I was like really narcissistic about it but um like I I like was literally like kind of panicking and getting lightheaded <laughs> it was so dumb but like um and I used to be like way more narcissistic back then, which is really lame. But, um, uh, so yeah. And I also think uh, it was like kind of a complicated time. Like, cause I mean, I was getting like more psychotic symptoms back then too. I don't know if I would perform better right now. I think my working memory is more messed up, but I think I am more coherent and able to speak a little bit better than back then. Even um, with the anxiety, because I also share the anxiety, but um, do you find that you're more verbally intelligent or mathematically intelligent? Um, I used to, like when I took the one that was as a, as a kid, I basically scored the 99th percentile in math and then in uh, in spelling, I scored technically retarded. <laughs> I scored 30th percentile, but in language comprehension, I also scored 99th percentile. I, I don't really... Yeah, that was where I would count. Spelling seems just more like crystallized intelligence. Yeah, I was like imagining like, what if it's just because I thought spelling didn't matter or something weird? I don't know. <laughs> um... So, are you bipolar or? Yeah, I'm bipolar too. I have hypomanic and um, depression. What is your experience like? Um, my hypomanic experiences feel very similar to like the peak of MDMA, but um, it's like uh, I've experienced experiences where um, I don't think I was quite in a hypomanic state, but I just like came to this sudden realization where it suddenly felt I was suddenly filled with a surge of euphoria, like you would feel on say a good acid trip or MD. And I think um, I saw a little video on r slash neuroscience where they were discussing the science of enlightenment basically, and how the part of your brain, um, I think it's the thalamus, it writes down something, some experiences that are very deep and connected with you. So you basically feel the surge of euphoria that you would on intense drugs like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I think MDMA, I didn't even mention it, I should have, but I honestly think, yeah, I think MDMA is probably much more similar to like uh, manic episodes than even psychedelics, probably because it's more like, it's not like just binding to these really specific receptors or something. Um, 
I don't know. Like, I haven't really tried MDMA that much, though. I've tried it, like, once. But but just the idea, like, the way that people tend to describe MDMA seems, like, pretty pretty much, like, very manic or hypomanic. Yeah, in all honesty, I didn't do it more than once either. It just didn't have the same feel as um, LSD did, for instance, for, like, giving you better deep thinking qualities. I've sometimes mixed, like I mostly have used psilocybin. Um, with that, uh, like it kind of varies a lot, but like, like okay, here's another thing. I before I have ever tried any of these things, I've had the visuals that you can get on psychedelics before like before ever trying anything and i also get migraines and migraine auras but i also get some visuals when i used to get manic as well like including like the walls would be drifting or breathing and like trails or everything is like super colorful and hd and i don't know like yeah that's it my migraines tend to be very stress-induced. Like, it's a sharp, um, sudden migraine that comes on. I don't know if you may have a similar type of onset for your migraine. Well, for me, what... It seems to usually get triggered, and probably stress, but also... Like, if I don't eat for, like, 12 hours, I can start to get a migraine. If I go let's say like 20 hours, I feel like I'm almost guaranteed to uh, start getting a migraine. And also, I used to, and I probably still will if I do it again, but uh, I would get, if I eat like pure dark chocolate, I can get migraines. But sometimes after doing psilocybin, I do not, I am able to eat chocolate without any such effects which is cool. Sometimes though I will take, I've taken small, small, tiny doses and of my psilocybin and then actually gotten migraines like for days after. So yeah. It's weird how our brain makes these little triggers that will basically, uh, it'll force a migraine on your body if you follow these triggers. But I think a theory with how psilocybin might help is that it kind of um, breaks those patterns that you've had, like how it might break bad habits that you've had and make you really introspect on why you do what you do. So it might be like unraveling some of those connections that form patterns to make those triggers for migraines. That is an interesting idea. That's kind of trippy. Um, like, so with chocolate something i was thinking because there is like some research i think that linked chocolate and i think chocolate contains tyramine and other things that could be related and then also um when you fast uh, there was like some research that was showing like monoamine oxidase uh, what is it? It decreases uh, if you fast, I think. I think 
that's a little bit tricky. Like I don't, I need to go like look back at the research. It was probably like an animal study. Um, but um, I think that if that's the case, then probably things like other chemicals start to build up because they're not being metabolized anymore. And maybe that's because like, say you're not eating and then you're also probably no longer synthesizing protein into neurotransmitters. And then if that happens, maybe your body starts to um, turn off the, or maybe it's not even synthesizing the monoamine oxidase or something, but, but besides that, maybe it purposely turns it off so that you don't just start uh, depleting of everything. Like, so then the breakdown of neurotransmitters maybe stops so that you can stay stable. But I also notice fasting makes me kind of manic. Like if I do it for 16 hours, I'll get like speedy and racy and like all that kind of stuff. Wow, you've actually, um, I didn't catch this at the time, but my first manic episode, hypomanic episode, was definitely triggered by fasting. Now I think back on it, I think it was like only two days without eating, but it was still, it's interesting. I look back on that. Oh, I've never fasted for two days. That sounds intense. Yeah. Hmm. Um, what about, do you, what's like the ratio of, of like depression or mania that you experience? Do you, is there one that you experience more of? Yeah, there tends to be, um, a lot more depression, but when the mania actually comes, it isn't like normal mania, it's hypomania, as in it's, it's like it all... I have like about four depression cycles, but they all build up for this one hypomanic cycle, which is just overwhelming in a way. I think so. I used to get cycles. I mean, I'm probably still am, but I'm maybe just kind of not really registering it entirely. But um, like I used to get more very distinct cycles, but I have a feeling that the more that I've like, like the more that I've managed like sleeping and uh, also with taking psychedelics, I think that um, like, I don't know, I think right now it's, it's, I don't know, I think I cycle faster, it seems, but at the same time, that could be totally false. Like I could just be actually in one state and thinking that it's maybe cycling. I don't know. But, um, but basically, yeah, I spend probably more time at least being lazy. That's for sure. Like I spend way more time being like unmotivated and like feel being pretty unproductive, except like I, I stay on task with things that I have to do. But like when I have free time, a lot of times, like I'll just literally, not get anything that I want to do done. I'll just kind of be really lazy and like literally lay there or something sometimes if I have free time. Um, but, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I don't get sad much at all. Um, 
Do you, what do you, do you get sad? Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound really trashy in a way, but um, I kind of abuse Kratom nowadays to avoid getting in that depression state because there's no way I can keep like going to my job and learning if I fall into a depressive state like that. I just sort of have to take Kratom to be stabilized. I can't be unstable at this time. I'm going to stop recording the podcast right now. So thank you for watching or listening, I should say. I would like to lastly thank Avi and Charles for uh, being the first two patrons and also Chris, who has helped make this project possible. Uh, Thank you so much. It really means a lot. And I hope you continue to tune in next time. Uh, Thanks. Goodbye.